his car toppled, building and tired, just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the thunderous Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Good. <laughs> we got a lot to cover. I don't want to waste any time. <laughs> who, yes, cares, who cares how I'm doing? Let's get to it. We have a full agenda. We must keep to it. Right on. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, it is our review episode, and I know Frank's happy to hear that. Uh, we are covering the latest issue of Aquaman, and we're going to cover Fury of Firestorm number seven classic, and we're going to squeeze something in there uh, in the middle. But to kick things off, we are going to hit In Stock Trades, which is our sponsor, which we're very deeply appreciative, folks. If you're not familiar with In Stock Trades, you really should buy some Q-tips then because you're not listening. But In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Rob, what would you, uh, you look up on In Stock Trades this week? Well, I found a – I went with a, a hardcover artist route. I've been looking at a lot of art books lately, and I found a, a book about Bill Everett, the creator of The Submariner. And the, it's, called, it's called Bill Everett, The Submariner, and the Birth of Marvel Comics. And the book's uh, main title is Fire and Water. Uh, oh my god! I didn't, so- I didn't pick it for that reason. I actually really like Bill Everett's work, and this book sounds really interesting. In 1939, brand new Marvel's first ever comic book featured an anti-hero named the Submariner, created by legendary artist Bill Everett. From the superhero and horror genre to romance, crime, and suspense, Bill Everett was the master of the medium. Blake Bell's follow-up to Strange and Stranger, The World of Steve Ditko, Fire and Water, is the definitive biography of the man in his career. The main focus, however, will be the stunning display of artwork that few artists can match in breadth and quality all on display in this coffee table art book that is destined to ensure Everett's place at the table of the premier comic book Virtuosos. Published by Fantagraphics, 216 pages, full color, hardcover. Normal price, $39.99. In stock trades, price is $24.79. That's 38% off. This is a really handsome, handsome book. And anybody who's a fan of Golden Age comic art, I suggest you pick it up. Uh, and then anybody who's a fan of Fire and Water, pick it up because of the title. That's fantastic. Now, someone took a picture of that and sent it to us a while back, if I seem to recall. Yes, yes. That's really funny. All right, well, I covered, uh, I picked a kind of traditional superhero fair. Uh, actually, to be honest, it's super villain fair. I picked out JLA Salvation Run trade paperback. Uh, this came out of Countdown of Final Crisis, but don't hold that against it. It collects this issue, this storyline where a bunch of supervillains are basically shunted off to another planet. It's it's a it's a horror, horrific world, and the villains are there to live out a prison sentence. That's what the Justice League has chosen to do, or maybe it's the government. I can't remember. But somebody transports the villains to another world, and it, it gets into a little bit of sort of like a little Lord of the Flies ish, where you get the, people are struggling for power. Lex Luthor and the Joker and uh, Vandal Savage are all vying for power. It's a uh, it's an interesting story. It's written by Bill Willingham and Matt Sturgis, art by Sean Chen and Walden Wong. So I mean, you know, good writers, good artists. 
I enjoyed it. It's a fun read. It's 192 pages. You can get it. Uh, normally goes for 19.99. However, Instock Trades has a 45% off discount on it right now. You can get it for $10.99. What a bargain, folks. Remember, go over to Instock Trades and uh, go up to their contact us page and drop them an email saying, hey, you heard about us uh, or heard about them on a fire and water podcast. And hey, Ciscoid, they are now taking international orders. Check it out. Uh, so yeah, so next, uh, first thing on the agenda or second thing, depending is Aquaman number 27. The title of the story is life and death by of course, Jeff Parker and the small army of Paul Pelletier, Netho Diaz, Sean Parsons, Roy Jose, and saying goodbye, Rod Reese on colors. Mm. Um, now much like last month, uh, my, I, uh, stepped aside to do the synopses and handed it over to Michael Bailey. Because uh, I uh, stay unequivocally, he does a much better job of synopsizing comic books than I do, and that proved so popular that he's back this month to do it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everybody, sit back and enjoy. Listen to Mike's commentary and some offensive jokes, and a brief appearance by Rachel Bailey in the background. And uh, so he said he's going to synopsize number twenty-seven, and then we'll be back on the other side to uh, offer our commentary. So take it away, Mike. After a brief scene where we see the reporter that was getting aqua-blocked in the previous issue actually getting somewhere with one of the locals, we cut to Reykjavik, Iceland, where the Megaform Cryptozoid, which sounds like the bad guy from the Big Bad Beetleborgs or something, that was tearing up the place moments before is just standing there, frozen in place. Aquaman has made telepathic contact with the creature, and we find out that long ago it served as Atlantis' champion, until it was forced to do something it didn't feel was right to do. The creature breaks free of the link, and Aquaman catches Mera up on what happened as the Megaform Cryptozoid starts trashing everything in sight. Using his trident, Aquaman cuts a group of civilians free of the creature's tentacles. Meanwhile, at Triton Base, the mysterious group that released the creature continues to monitor the situation, and by situation I mean the ungodly amounts of destruction they have brought about. Turns out one of them isn't so sure of their actions, and that one of them turns out to be Dr. Shin. He rants at them for a page and storms off, leading to one of their mysterious group to wonder if he is going to work out. Back in Iceland, Aquaman continues to fight the creature and is knocked to the ground. He has a dream, or maybe it's a flashback. Why can't it be both? About the time his father told him about why he became a lighthouse keeper and lived by the side of the sea. Aquaman wakes up, and one of the civilians returns his trident to him. He leaps back into battle, and with the Air Force's assistance, he makes momentary contact with the creature and forces it to move down and forward, which is, of course, better than moving back and to the left. 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 Arthur uses his momentary victory to use an I-beam to slam his trident through the creature, causing it all sorts of damage. Mira and the Atlantean backups... Mira and the Atlantean backups. That sounds like a really bad doo-wop band from the 50s. Mira and the Atlantean backup arrive just in time to see, well, <laughs> they're not needed at all. Neil makes a snide remark about Aquaman defiling their defender that was trying to destroy Reykjavik as a submersible from Triton base finds Aquaman's trident. Mera joins Aquaman and suggests that they head back to Maine, which probably made Rob very happy. Aquaman agrees until the Karakin starts boiling and melting and probably smelling like a bunch of dead fish baking in the sun. A few of the people he rescued thank Aquaman for saving them before Aquaman starts getting mental impressions from the supposedly dead Karakin. It is moving south-southeast, and he orders Neol to head in that direction. Meanwhile, at Triton Base, one of the repair guys that I didn't actually mention before, even though we saw him suiting up because it didn't seem important at the time, cuts his arm, which would normally be fine, but he starts bleeding in the water, which attracts the attention of a shiver of sharks. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. To be continued. All right, Mike, thanks very much for that wonderful uh, synopsizing. Now, 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 hold on a minute here. You know, last month I was a little worried for my job, you know, thinking you're bringing a guest host. Now I'm just thinking you're lazy. 
Well, that's true. But, uh, well, look, I really am trying to think of the audience. I listened to the previous 25 issues. <laughs> issues? The, yeah, issues of Aquaman. Oh, okay. Calm down, calm down. Uh, <laughs> you always get in my case previous, about issue versus yeah, Exactly, episode. that's why I'm not making the mistake. Uh, I listened to the previous 25 issues of Aquaman that I synopsized. I guess 26, technically, because we talked about number zero as well. And I'm horrible. I'm just really bad at it. Mike is really good at it. So why not? I mean, I, I, I would think that you'd worry if I had Mike synopsize Firestorm, but I'm having him do my job, not yours. <laughs> so I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> talking Fine, my, talking whatever. myself let's out talk, of a job. Jeez. Let's talk about the book. Anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, now you're all bored with this topic. All of a I'm bored with you. <laughs> I'm going to get Mike in here to talk, to talk about the commentary in a minute, I think. Okay. Uh, that would be great. Anyway, this uh, I enjoyed this issue quite a bit. Uh, on the, the only big minus I have with this is on the art front. I am just not cottoning to um, Netho Diaz's work. Um, I just just don't like it all that much. And I don't think it blends in very well with Paul Pelletier. And I really like what Paul Pelletier is doing. Um, is it me or does Paul Pelletier's Aquaman kind of look like Bradley Cooper? A little bit. I, I can does. see that. Yeah. yeah. You're a blonde Bradley Cooper for some reason. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned it. There's actually one panel. It took me a long time to figure out how this panel worked. Uh, and I don't. It may have been Paul who drew this this page. I'm not sure. Which page? But it's the, it's the one where Aquaman's flying through the little Cthulhu tongue. Okay. And slicing it open. Like it took me forever to figure out what's really happening in that panel. Okay. I know. What so you're I don't know. Yeah. Uh, hmm. You know what? I'm not. Ex- I think that's. I think that is Paul. Actually. Okay, but the art. Now that was the only panel that really jumped out at me. I th- I thought the monster looked great. Now, again, I'm not be able to. I'm I'm not in tune with art well enough to tell who does which pages. But I that was really the only panel that jumped out at me. Otherwise, I thought the the art was serviceable. Didn't jump out at me great, but it was very serviceable throughout the whole book. Yeah, no, I mean I've been liking Paul's stuff quite a bit. I think him and Swan Parsons are a nice mix. So. You know, and I, and we also know from what we understand that that Paul is like a little on the slow side. So I'm sure they're trying to get him to catch up by giving mm-hmm. by having Netho Diaz step in and do a couple of pages. So it's fine, you know. I mean, in the old days, that happened all the time. Not a huge deal, but um, you know, like I said, I just I'm looking forward to when maybe they can catch Paul up a bit and he can do the full full issues. Anyway, enough of the complaining. This was a lot of fun. It's Aquaman fighting a sea monster for. Um, you know, 20 pages or so. So that's a, that's a ton of fun. And uh, I completely loved Aquaman, Aquaman being so strong that he can hurl two cars with, uh, with his, just his hands at the monster. I absolutely love that. I mean, that's just like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, that panel of him going, going back to the sea, go, I command you. And then he just hurls the cars. I just like, yeah, that's a Superman kind of badass moment. I really <laughs> You know, this book has got uh, uh, it's got Luke Giaconetti written on. I mean, giant you know monster attacking a foreign country, and you know people attacking with. Uh, this is a Giaconetti type book. He should do a Earth Destruction Directive about this comic book. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It definitely has that feeling. I mean, you could see this if they ever made an Aquaman movie. This would be the pre-credit sequence, I think, of just some giant sea monster that Aquaman. Oh yeah. Yeah. After the creature collapses, he stands on it. Then they play like the James Bond music, the Danan. Da-da-da! And he looks all badass and stuff. That'd be great. Um, as Mike pointed out in the synopses, uh, that moment where Mira says, I think you and I need to go back to Maine. He's, you think I would enjoy that? Yes, I did. I, that, that line jumped out of me. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let, yeah, do that. Uh, so, I think everyone who listens to the show probably thought of you in that panel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I have been enjoying it. Uh, I, I, it's a ton of action and... For right now, that's kind of what I wanted because I felt like after a little while that got, you know, under John's, it got bogged down. And so Parker, I think, is maybe not on purpose, but flipping the flipping the channels a little bit and just giving us a bunch of fisticuffs for a couple of – or at least these two issues. And it, that's that's a whole lot of fun. Uh, so I've really been enjoying it. And I have to wonder about this guy at the, uh, the, the scuba guy at the end that he cuts himself. And he goes, yeah, yeah I'm fine just to cut. You know, you don't want to cut yourself under the water because, you know, sharks – and the right. sharks are right there, as right behind him. So, you know, if I ever cut myself under the water, well, I'd never be under the water. But if I was, and I cut myself, I'd be like, I'm getting out of here. 
because uh, I'm, I'm about to be shark food in a second. But nothing good could come of this. Nothing good can come now, of this. Do you, do you catch his last name? Uh, I did. What is it now? I missed it. I it's don't remember what it was. Coombs. I'm not sure if that's yeah, how you say okay. it. Yeah. O O M B S. Yeah. You recognize it? No. Uh, go back to your very earliest showcase issues of Aquaman's appearances, you know, right before he got his own ongoing in the 60s. Yeah. The big purple monster that's holding him, last name was Coombs, he got transformed into a monster. Huh. I don't know if that's, I mean, I, that's not where I was going with it when I originally, I'm like, that name looks familiar. So I Googled Aquaman and that name, and it, it didn't come up with what I thought. I thought I'd get a more recent villain or something, but that did that did turn up, and I'm like, you know, that's kind of a... Those are kind of seminal issues of Aquaman because Showcase, you know, they launched the series. I wonder if Jeff was, you know, doing some digging here and maybe he's going to tell us a new 52 version of that or he something. He is a fan of old school Aquaman, so it wouldn't shock. It wouldn't shock I, let's say, I'd be surprised if it's a direct reference other than just a little nod. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have, doesn't have anything to do story-wise. It's just a little nod for a little Easter egg for people. But that'd be fun. And, of course, that is or the or if he gets exposed to this brain that's, you know, the, the, the giant creature brain that's coming, and it turns him into a big monster, and, you know, it could all... Possible. Possible. Yeah. Except we also had the return of Stephen Chin here, yep. uh, so I'm guessing he's going to be an ongoing sort of regular character. And as much as I don't like Stephen Chin because he's untrustworthy, he's better than Volko, so, you know, I guess <laughs> I'll take Stephen Chin over that. Uh, well, I, I like Stephen Chin better than his co-workers. Well, that's yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so how, how much you like that? I, I know I keep interrupting you, but how much you love that lighthouse scene? It, uh, it was it was okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. I, I'm kind. You know what? I'm over superheroes with the daddy issues. I really am. <laughs> I, I'm like, all right, move on. Like I. That's why when I heard the news about the, you know, they were considering doing a Man of Steel prequel that's all on Krypton. I'm like, no, I don't want to see that. I don't care. I want to see them being heroes. So, yeah, I liked it. I mean, it was a neat scene, but, you know, just like, okay, like, just be a superhero. Stuff with, okay. the, stuff with the daddy issues. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I did love that panel on, uh, again, I don't know the page because they're not numbered, uh, but, but when, right after that lighthouse scene of, of Aquaman grabbing his trident, not grabbing it, but he's, he's handed the trident back from that woman, that's a really yep. super great action pose, the don't be scared panel uh with the, the, the sun rays coming over in the cloud that's yep. a great shot that's like a cl- very iconic shot so well done paul pelletier and i did like on the page of him just laying there for a second looking up at the monster as he's embedded into the uh, gravel there that that was really fun so yeah my, my favorite bit my favorite bit in the books just after that when he uh he embeds the trident in the monster but he can't get it to go deep enough so he hammers it in with a beam <laughs> and flies through the back of the monster that's my favorite bit in the whole book like, there yeah i mean parker is definitely ramping up the the, the you know the, the muscle quotient of Aquaman, which is great that's what i i've said that i said that like way back in like episode 1 of the show yeah when he flipped the car yeah i want to see more of that fun big of him just being a super badass guy that's that's a lot of fun so i'm glad Glad he's doing that. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I thought it was, it was a very successful show, and um, you know, we're two issues into Parker's run, and I think we're 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 off and running, or off and swimming, or whatever you want to say. Oh God! <laughs> Stop it! I'm pretend. <laughs> off and swimming. Oh my goodness! All right. <laughs> Is that it? I think that's it. We're good. All right. Yeah. All right, so folks, there you go. Uh, if you're not picking up Aquaman, get back into it, man. You can start uh, only two issues into Parker's Run. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we're. Uh, I'm hoping. I, I think uh, this issue helps really because you never know with the first issue. You know, first issue is sometimes good. Second issue, you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But no, it's. Uh, I, yeah, actually, this one was even a little bit better as you didn't get all the political intrigue. So, oh, there was one thing I was going to mention that I, I was kind of surprised about. I still think. They're hinting at this whole thing that since Aquaman can't control the monster, he's not the rightful king of Atlantis. Okay. And Mera was on her way. I was sure Mera was going to be able to take control of the monster. I thought that's totally where the story was going. So I don't know whether to scratch my head and go, huh, wonder why the story went that way, or to go, oh, I'm glad he threw me a curveball and I didn't get what I expected to happen. So Hmm. jury's still out on that one for me. I, I, I never get tired of seeing the, these two characters together. I, they, we still don't get to see it all terribly much, but I just love the heck out of it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yep. All right. Uh, well, I want to take a few minutes to talk about a series that I, I don't think we've talked about on this show before. But it's, it's a miniseries going on, a six-issue miniseries called Forever Evil Argus. Now, a few of you have already stopped listening to me. 
Once I said for evil, forever evil. Including Hold my on tight. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Hang on. First of all, writer Sterling Gates. Huh? Okay. Got all right. Yeah. Good writer. Writes good, solid comics. By the way, I have gone back and read several issues of his Vibe comic. Everyone who's been writing into us is absolutely right. It's a fun, young, upbeat hero comic. So it's the kind of comic we always say they wish we wish they published. Mm-hmm. They are publishing one right now. Yeah, but it stars Vibe though. It's what? But it stars Vibe though. Don't badmouth the Vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that little bad accent you do. I would do it for you right now. Like ooh, chua, whatever you do. It sounds terrible, but anyway. I, I made it even worse. Look at that. I made you look good. So, Forever Evil Argus, number four just came out this week. And the reason I'm mentioning this, this, is, this, this comic is important for matchheads. On the cover, you're getting a bunch of Steve Trevors and Wonder Womans and Cheetahs. But what you don't know, what's inside these comics is Killer Frost, Professor Stein, Black Bison, Multiplex, Hyena, Typhoon. Yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is a backdoor Firestorm comic, ladies and gentlemen. So you need to be watching this. In fact, in issue three, uh, Steve Trevor uh, went to Professor Stein's cabin up in the woods. So he's got like a real isolated cabin area. Professor Stein's up there. Killer Frost shows up. Stein pulls out a shotgun and blows her across <laughs> the yard. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. So, in fact, okay, so issue four just came out. You really need to check this series out. It, 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 you know, flip through it in the store if you don't believe me. But, again, Sterling Gates, you know he writes good stuff. He wrote that Killer Frost one-shot about Caitlin Snow, who, by the way... Future TV star. <laughs> exactly, future TV star Caitlin Snow. Oh, my gosh. Killer Frost coming to the Flash TV series, spinoff of Arrow. If you haven't heard that, go out and check out that news. Anyway, first page, giant black bison killing Argus agents. It's sweet. So um, then you get hyena, as I said, plastic. You get multiplex, and then you, in, and then I'm, I'm not going to do a review of the issue, here, folks. That's not what I'm. That's not the point of what I'm doing. I'm just trying to get you to understand. You need to be reading this book um, because there. This is where the next steps of of where Killer Frost's evolution is. And in this case, she's she's operating almost as a um, I don't know what you call it, an antihero. Maybe she is helping. Professor Stein and Steve Trevor, not because she's altruistic or wants anything. She just needs Firestorm or a Firestorm to absorb heat from. And so she's helping them for her own means. So it's almost like, you know, when, when a supervillain appears in Suicide Squad and they're, they're sort of doing good things for the wrong reasons. It's that kind of stuff. Right. So it, it's kind of interesting to watch her character develop more. And Professor Stein is very different in this. First of all, he's younger. Last time we saw him was at the very end of Dan Jurgen's Firestorm run. Remember, he was bald and uh, sure. kind of older. This dude's pretty young. I don't mean like 15 or something, but he's he's probably only 40, you know? I don't know. Full head of hair. I mean, he looks younger than he does in classic Firestorm series. And he's very much a man of action. I mean, like I said, he whipped out the shotgun in the last issue and shot Killer Frost. This time he breaks up a, a, a pretty heated argument between Steve Trevor and Killer Frost. He... Um, Let's see what else. Uh, I'm flipping through here very quickly because there's some, some other stuff. He, he sneaks them away into his secret lab where he's got these teleporter tubes. He's, uh, he's, just, he's very much a brave, almost action-oriented kind of character in here. So he doesn't really take gruff off of people. So it's a very different Stein. I'm not saying it's a wrong interpretation of Stein because, you know, this is a whole new universe. But, you know, it's very different. It took me a while to warm to it, but I'm starting to take an interest in going, okay, you know, show me a different version of Professor Stein. I'm okay with that. So uh, I think you guys need to be checking it out. Sort of ironic that more of the classic Firestorm universe has come back after the book's been canceled than it ever did during the 20 issues it was around. Yeah, um, unfortunately, Killer Frost is the only one who's getting any character development really at all. Um, the rest of them are just sort of, they look like the classic Firestorm villains, and they all travel together. So it's like, oh, that's Firestorm's bad guys. <laughs> Um, but there's no real development there. They don't necessarily feel like their original selves. Um, I do like uh, this agent on the first page who's Black Bison's attacking. He says, I've got casualties and wounded. I think these are Firestorm's guys. Are you listening? <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, But anyway, it's it, as I said, it's sort of a backdoor Firestorm book, so you guys should be checking it out. All right, I've, I've beat that dead horse. Goodbye. It's only a matter of time until Slipknot shows up. 
You know, wouldn't surprise you. Now, supposedly, he appeared in Forever Evil number one. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's just a little headshot. I didn't look anything like him, but we were told by DC Comics that that was Slipknot. So I'm like, you know, where is he appearing in the Forever Evil universe? Has he appeared somewhere? Has someone seen him? If someone has seen this new Slipknot, we need to know. You know, we need to be trumpeting that comic. Forget this other stuff, Aquaman, Firestorm. Bah, we need to be talking about Slipknot. Anyway, all right. Uh, with that, I think we are going to go to break. Is that right? Um, yes, uh, we are going to go to break. And earlier in the, the week on the Shrine, I talked about, I did a review of the that new Target JLA movie, JLA Trapped in Time, that we mentioned. Yeah, I read the review. Yes, and I loved it. I loved the movie. I thought it was so much fun. It's like a big modern-day Super Friends episode. And I just thought it was a blast. Aquaman is in it, uh, a slightly redesigned Aquaman. And he gets some fun stuff to do, though he's, it's really more about the two Legion characters than it is the um, Justice League. But I thought it was a total blast, and I recommend anybody go out and get it. I, th- I really think it's worth your time. So we're going to hear just a little scene from that to whet your appetite in case you haven't bought it yet. If you, if you haven't, you like what you hear, go out and get it. That's the way we're going to uh, let uh, WB and DC know that we like this kind of stuff. So enjoy this little segment from JLA Trapped in Time. But, but wait. You can't do that. It, it's no longer a stealth campaign. You're doing advertising. I know. I'm actually violating. I'm doing more advertising than Warner Brothers ever did for this thing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so enjoy that. And when we come back, we'll talk about Fury of Firestorm number seven. Classic. Classic. I do not understand Lex Luthor. I thought we were melting the polar ice caps. No, my dear Cheetah, the exact opposite. As those glaciers swell, the world's water level shrinks, expanding the coastlines of every continent. Land we already own. Another brilliant plan from a brilliant mind. Sorry, Lex. Sounds more like an insane plan from a deranged mind, and we're gonna have to put a stop to it. Justice League, into action! controls away from Lex. Cyborg, Batman, and Robin with me. Too bad your mind isn't as fast as your little boots. talking about the fury of firestorm the nuclear man number seven this is a classic comic book ladies and gentlemen from 1982 and let me tell you this is one of the most beloved issues of fury of firestorm from the early days i don't know if you could feel it when you read it again rob but there is a whole lot of matchhead love for this comic is there really yeah really i'm not kidding so um Cover date of December 1982, but folks, if you want to go pick this up fresh off the shelf where you can still sniff the newsprint, get in your time machine, go back to September 2nd, 1982, and uh, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that date, and you know how you know it's the September issue? You know why you know? No. Because this thing's chock-a-block, using your favorite term, of ads for Saturday morning cartoons. Ah, yes. The beloved you got the Saturday ABC ad. Ads. It's got Pac-Man and Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy. You got the CBS ad. It's got Meatballs and Spaghetti, Gilligan's Planet, Black Star. So, yeah, that's how you know it's a September issue. So, anyway, okay. So, cover by um, Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano. <laughs> like you forgot for a second. I couldn't find it for a second there. <laughs> so, and uh, hey, I have to say, Gorgeous inking job by Mr. Uh, oh, Giordano. There you go. Okay. Absolutely. He finally earned your approval after 50 years in the business. Thank God. You know what? I, I could have all six issues. I should have said that because he's inked every single one of these gorgeous covers. This one rocks as well. Uh, you've got – now, last issue, I talked about how I love word balloons on the cover of comics, and I truly do. This time, it has sort of captions on the cover of comics. <laughs> one too many, in my opinion. 
Um, it, there, so, there, there's a bit of a goofy one there. It goes, <laughs> well, what you got is you've got a shot of Plastique. She's a supervillain who wears explosive bombs. That's her shtick. She's basically a suicide bomber. And she's yanked the pin out of an explosive device, and you can see it's starting to explode. And in the background, Firestorm is in a very, very dramatic pose that I really dig. This is like, I, I really love that shot of Firestorm. He's pushing a guy out, like, get out, get out, get away. And Professor Stein's floating in the background. And he doesn't, Professor Stein doesn't get too many covers either, by the way. Professor Stein looks horrified. Anyway, and the caption says, the woman's name is Plastique. And in just one more second, she's going to explode. Boy. Talk about touchy. <laughs> Johnny Carson used to say you can't do three jokes on one premise, and I think that's the case here. I think the first, uh, the first uh, two, first two are fine, and then the third one. <laughs> this is a, what? Who? Who's talking? What is? What's going on? Why are we doing jokes? No, yeah. It, it does feel a bit like a Saturday Night Live bit, you know, because you know she's going to explode. Oh, she's touchy, ah, you know, and doesn't hurt that she's a gorgeous, hot redhead on the cover too. But anyway, by the way, did you notice? Uh, one of the things I'm going to talk about is her costume has an extraordinarily deep plunge neckline. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of cleavage going on. Very sexy here. Uh, it's a little more uh, covered up. Oh, it's completely covered. I mean, it's yeah. skin. You know, not an ounce except for her face is showing. Yeah. Which, ironically, her costume years later is based on this design on the cover, not what's going on inside. Okay. okay. So clearly artists were just pulling the cover for reference material. Okay. So, all right. So um, this is a 23-page comic. And if you look at it as sort of the 10,000-foot level, this is, a, this is a story. It's using the superhero formula. But what the story really is is it's showing how television has changed the news forever. And embedded in that is the difficulty of keeping secrets in this information age and how TV can be manipulated. I got, I don't, I'm not even on cold medicine this week. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, and how TV can be manipulated for spreading terror. So kind of big concepts going on hidden amongst the superhero story. So the gist of it is you've got these, and I'm going to say this wrong, and another shout-out to Francisco. Sorry, buddy, I'm going to say it wrong. Quebecese. I think I, I said it wrong last month too. I think for a different scenario, but anyway, it's a it's a terrorist cell from Quebec, hiding and operating in the United States, specifically in the New York, New Jersey area. They are striking out and attacking areas. In this particular example, we get a I don't know whether it's, could, did you get a sense whether it's an oil refinery or maybe just like an oil or a gasoline holding area? Maybe I, yeah, it's some sort of oil refinery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. That's getting attacked, and later on a newspaper is going to get attacked, and their, their issue there is the lumber. Either way, they're saying that you know oil and lumber are being basically removed from Canada for use in the United States, and it, it needs to stop. That's what the terrorist faction is focusing on. So there's some, there's some heavy issues embedded in here for a comic that was you know, geared at 12-year-olds. It's kind of surprising. So first page, you jump right into the action. It's a really cool splash page of Firestorm coming up, uh, arriving on a scene to help the police deal with these terrorists threatening to blow up again what we're deciding is an oil refinery. Now, the cops are pretty surprised to see Firestorm. Uh, the fact is he heard about this standoff with the terrorists and the police on the TV news. So Firestorm decides to take matters in his own hands after a little discussion with the cops, flies right in there, and confronts the terrorist. Cracks a couple jokes, thinks he's being smart, thinks he's going to swoop around and get the terrorist off guard. Terrorist is wearing a full body suit, and he has these ex an explosive device on his chest. And uh, Firestorm swoops in, and the guy friggin' yanks the pin and detonates. Insane. Um, page six and seven are these two pages of... Uh, of the explosion, they're, they're actually kind of frightening as a reader. I mean, the thing's exploding. Firestorm is now catching on fire. Professor Stein looks horrified because the thing, Firestorm's never really lost. He's never really run into a situation that got so out of control he couldn't handle. The guy has now committed suicide. The oil refinery tank is exploding. Professor Stein is freaking out. And Ronnie's yelling, I know, Professor, I know. And you know that you know, all around the oil refinery are tons of people, tons of witnesses, police officers, reporters, who are all going to burn if Firestorm doesn't do something. So it's a very sort of scary, intense moment. Firestorm uses his powers to absorb the, uh, the roiling the uh, flames of the energy of, of the explosion into himself. He's not even sure he can do it. 
he's very concerned whether he can hold all the energy. He says basically they're not going to find out. They, they don't know if he can do it until they find out. And um, I don't know. I just thought this page was done really well. Pat Broderick did, uh, what is this, eight panels in a very interesting sort of design. Um, by the end of it, Firestorm does absorb all the energy and passes out. When he wakes up, he, he's looking up into the face of his own father, Ronnie Raymond's father, Ed Raymond, who's not there in capacity as Ronnie's father. He's in there in the capacity of Ed Raymond, newspaper reporter. Well, Firestorm, being Ronnie, gets a little nervous about this, does not want to get interviewed by his own father, and bolts, takes off. Very quickly, we, we get another scene. We're obviously seeing another terrorist, who uh, another Canadian terrorist who is watching this on the TV news. He sees that this other terrorist failed in their mission. They did not cause enough damage and enough fear. So she says, you know, now it's her turn, and what matters is the terror. We follow Ed Raymond to his office, the newspaper building. And this is where we're pretty much going to stay for the rest of the issue, is at this high-rise building that the New York, what is it called, the New York Express News, I think is what it is. New York, New York News Express. So Ed is there. He's desperately trying to find a, an angle on this story about the terrorist. That he, that the, what he's worried about is that he feels like the television has already scooped him on all the all the different angles. So he's desperately trying to find some angle. Well, Professor Stein sort of goads Ronnie into going there and trying to make peace with his dad. So Ronnie goes there, gets a very cold reception from his dad, enrolls Plastique. She says she's now going to blow up the building. She wants the uh, newspaper to stop taking the lumber out of Canada. It doesn't belong to them. To make sure everyone knows she's serious. She, uh, are you laughing over there? It's just, it's just like a funny demand. <laughs> I know. And maybe, you know, and this is going to show my ignorance. Maybe there is a very active Canadian terrorist organization. But when I hear it, I'm just like... <laughs> well, I'm not laughing at Canadian terrorists. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the... Stop pulling all the lumber out. Like, that just seems like, you monster. <laughs> <laughs> all the woodchucks, where are they going to go? Yeah, exactly. um, anyway, so she, she blows up like a, a part of the building just to demonstrate she's serious. And though you get, you, I guess where I'm going, the, the rest of the issue is, is almost like, almost like, kind of like a diehard movie, really. Yeah, it is. I mean, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's Die Hard in a Skyscraper. Oh, wait, that was Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm not going to you know, go through step-by-step step what happens here, but just the gist of it is, Ron, you, you've got up, up there on the floor with the newspaper folks, you've got Ronnie, a bunch of reporters, his dad, um, Plastique, she's making her demands. On the ground, you've got Professor Stein, who's trying to break into the building. Both Ronnie and the professor are trying to figure out how to become Firestorm. But the problem is they're secret. Can, you know, they, they're trying to decide... Is it worth giving up their secret for this situation? Because if Ronnie's going to transform, he's going to have to do it in front of all these reporters. If Professor transforms into Firestorm, Ronnie's still going to disappear in front of all these reporters. So they're trying to guard their secret, but at the same time save everybody. So Professor Stein is trying to break into the building to cut the power, to turn off the lights momentarily, so if they transform into Firestorm at that moment, no one will figure it out. Which, by the way, is a gimmick that Dan Juergens used, if you recall, in his first couple issues. That's right. When he had Jason kill the lights in the football field so him and Ronnie could transform. I wonder if that's coincidence or if uh, Dan specifically went after that. So, By the way, just to describe uh, Plastique's costume here, it's an all-purple jumpsuit. Uh, and it's got a very low plunging neckline with lots of cleavage, blue highlights and gloves. And attached to her body are these metal discs that are actually the explosives. So she is a walking bomb, essentially. Um, that is important and plays a role here. So all of this is being broadcast on television. Ronnie's face makes it on TV, and uh-oh, guess who's watching? Uh, your you favorite. Yeah, your favorite Nars. It's Doreen Day, Ronnie's girlfriend. She sees Ronnie in danger on television. Poor, poor, sweet, sweet Doreen. I feel so bad for her. It's a new year, in case you don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. You're trying. You're trying. To I know you know that. But yeah. People at home might be like, well, what? This is a different shag. I'm, I'm giving her another try until... Until she screws up. So, Professor Stein has some very cool, um, they're not quite diehard moments, but he, he, he's a little bit of John, he's a cowardly John McClane, maybe? No. He's, um, he's sneaking, as I said, sneaking around the building, and there's a really great piece in here I want to read, actually, because he's, he's leaning up against a wall, and he is sweating profusely. I love just, this panel. Isn't that a nice panel? It's beautiful. Yeah. Broderick did a really nice close-up on the professor's face. He's sweating profusely. He's 
too frightened to move because there's soldiers all around him, but he knows he's got to get to the power room. So it sits there, and the, 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 the capture boxes actually say, Professor Martin Stein never has been a physically brave man. Neither is he a coward. Like most of us, he simply hasn't been tested until tonight. A coward would have given up. Martin Stein runs. So this is actually works out as a nice contrast to the Martin Stein we just saw in Argus that we were talking about earlier, the new one. Right, yes. They're very different guys. That guy's a man of action. This Professor Stein is... He's just never been put in that position where he has to be brave. I mean, even in Firestorm, he's always in the back seat, you know? Mm -hmm. So so this is an opportunity where he plays the hero. Unfortunately, as he's running, his glasses fly off and hit the ground, and he actually stomps on them. That becomes an issue later on. Uh, Ronnie and his father have a little bit of an argument because Ronnie's trying to play the cool head, and his father wants to take action. Of course, Ronnie's only playing the cool head because he knows he's trying to find a way to transform into Firestorm. So the feds come in with their terrorist squad, with 70 seconds left until Plastique's deadline, self-imposed deadline, where she says she's going to blow up the building. Only 70 seconds left. Professor Stein cuts the lights to the building. They transform into Firestorm. Now, this whole setup here in this building, I don't know how you felt, Rob, but this was a very tense sort of moment to me. Like this whole, I don't know, the last 15 pages were very, very tense. I felt the pressure. I felt it building. I thought it was really well-done storytelling. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. So they transform into Firestorm. Firestorm actually can't see that well, and you know that as a reader because Professor Stein stepped on his glasses, which is kind of funny how it's affecting Ronnie's vision. There's this amazing page of Firestorm flying as fast as he can, breaking the sound barrier. He's yelling and screaming, and he's, he's, there's this cool sort of after effect of him flying into the building to try and stop Plastique with just seconds to go. And um, <clears throat> he, tra- he flies through the wall. And Plastique still pulls the core. She pulls all the detonators. She says, you've got six seconds left till everybody blows up. I win. And Firestorm pulls the move that makes every 12-year-old boy love this comic and still remember it to this day. He transmutes uh, Plastique's costume into air. She is buck nude. and uh, Or buck naked. And <laughs> buck nude. That was, dis- that was disturbing. <laughs> Sorry, she is <laughs> buck naked or bear nude. Either way. And the bombs drop off. He swoops up the bombs, flies up in the air, gets rid of them. They blow up harmlessly in the air, and he saves the day. And at the end, uh, Plastique is arrested, and quite frankly, she's quite embarrassed. It, it makes a pretty funny sound bite on the six o'clock news or eleven o'clock news. Her being nude, trying to make her statements, and uh, you don't see that. They talk about it off camera. And then Professor, and then Ronnie and his father have a little bit of a uh, have some words. But at the end, they decide to start to try and make peace, and they walk off together. So. Woo! Great issue. Yes, I, I I gotta believe that it's the it's the plastic being nude thing that makes <laughs> every Firestorm match head remember this issue. I, I know it did. I know my you know twelve thirteen year old self whatever it was remembered it for that reason. Um, now the only thing that makes me wonder about that is when he transmuted her clothes into air, he left the bombs. He didn't transmute the bombs. Maybe they're too complicated for him. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Well, he I mean, he, yeah, I don't know why. He, he grabs them. But, yeah, yeah why well, wouldn't he just... They just fall them? off because yeah. there's no clothes to be connected to. Well, but, to. I mean, he grabs them before they hit the ground is what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, either way, I always, I always wondered as a kid, like, why didn't he just turn those into air, too? So, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, I, I'll just say it. Plastique's hot. She really is. You know, Pat Broderick knows how to draw a lady, and she's very sexy in this. And I, I think, you know, I don't know whether it's just her hotness or her character itself, but she becomes a fairly reoccurring role in Firestorm. She then goes over to Captain Adam series. She ends up marrying Captain Adam. Huh? Yeah. Plastique <laughs> and Captain Adam got married. She, and that actually, that actually, the marriage happened in Extreme Justice. Oh, no wonder I don't Captain. know about it. <laughs> they were dating in Captain Adam, got married in Extreme Justice. And then somewhere in there, they split up and she became a supervillain again. So. <laughs> I know. Kicks, I, if kicks I got are dumped so by unstable, Adam, I swear. If I got dumped by Captain, uh, Captain Adam, I'd become a supervillain too. Now I have a question for you as an artist. On page three, um, there, there's um, it's where Firestorm is flying around, getting ready to deal with the first terrorist. There is a storytelling technique that I've always wondered about. That I don't know whether it's lazy or clever. It has the panels going and. Uh, they actually have a little red arrow telling you which panel to go to next. Mm-hmm. 
as an artist, do you consider that sort of lazy or is that? No, not lazy. No, not at all lazy. It's, okay. It's no, it's sometimes, you know, you're, you, you never want to come up with a layout that's like really impossible to follow. You hear them, hear me in your atoms? Uh, because then you're really <laughs> having to sort you know, then it takes you out of the story if you're constantly like, wait a minute, where am I supposed to go? Um, so no, it's not a lazy thing. Uh, but but I see why he went for this because you know, he really wanted to get that nice swooping panel of Firestorm. And to, add, to me, this is Broderick's best issue of Firestorm to date on the art. Um, yeah, I think I'd there's a that. lot of nice effects, a lot of nice big panels, and then there's lots of other pages where it's, there's a lot going on. Um, the, that close-up of Professor Stein is fantastic. Uh, like you said, Plastique looks you know very alluring. She reminds me of Adrian Barbeau in the Cannibal Run movies. Uh, oh yeah, with, with, the, with the jump, jump jumpsuit. Jump yeah, yeah. Um, I love Ronnie's seventies hair. Uh, I love that panel on page sixteen at the bottom of Plastique just standing there talking, and the, the background that he puts in, which is just this yellow triangle in the darkness. Like he went for a nice abstract thing. Uh, I yeah, you know, I loved it from beginning to end. I think he did a really tremendous job. I think he's done a great job in every issue, but this one is my favorite so far. Yeah, he, he really. I agree. I think he knocked it out of the park. I think it's better a little bit at each issue, and the action stuff in this one really was over the top. Like the one, as I mentioned earlier, the explosion page early on when he's fighting the first terrorist. If you look at page six and seven together, both are eight panel pages, but they use the panels in such different ways that it's so effective. You know, the first one with the explosion, it, it, it's building. You see the, the people that are being affected. You see Firestorm absorbing the energy. You get these really nice, really tight, narrow panels. And, you know, and then the silhouette of Firestorm falling from the sky. Then the next one, the, the panels just more, the A panels is moving the story along. But you still get some narrow, skinny panels. It's just, it's neat how he takes the same technique, applies it, and yet it, it works, it feels completely different. Yeah, and he said he knows how to pace the story very well. I mean, like those two pages are very crowded with lots of panels, and then there's other pages where he gives it a little more space. So it, it's, yep. somebody knows how to pace the story well, you know. Uh, that's just, and I, I, I laugh at that panel on the same page of the Martin Stein close-up of when uh, Doreen sees Ronnie on the TV. She like leaps at the television, right? <laughs> like she's some sort of simpleton that doesn't understand that it's not a tiny Ronnie inside the box. It's she's actually <laughs> somewhere else. Speaking of somewhere else, I'm very disappointed with the fact you did not mention that on the splash page, all this is going on in South Jersey, in my neck of the oh, woods. <laughs> I, it did occur to me. I, that's part of the reason I asked you well, <laughs> if it was port or a refinery. <laughs> well, I, well, you you didn't say, is that in New Jersey? You just said, is it a refinery? Anyway, they have a lot of this stuff up in North Jersey, but this is South Jersey. He specifically mentions it. He says, a guy threatening to blow up most of South Jersey. I mean, to be honest, not a huge loss. But still, um, uh, you know, especially the town's a couple couple towns over. But but uh, anyway, that's my stomping grounds. So I I enjoyed that little reference to 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 my neck of the woods from Firestorm, from Jerry oh, Conway specifically. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> now, uh, one of the things I also want to talk about. I well, I'm I'm not like a smart man or nothing. I ain't no Professor Allen and know all my literary terms. But um, I don't. There's got to be like a story phrase to describe like what a diehard story is like you know i know there's like a locker room mystery right thing you know I, I don't know what the in a building one man on his own against impossible odds type of story is but i love i love those kinds of stories after diehard it was just diehard right <laughs> and i just i i know i used the words before but i got to tell you i just i really feel like they built a very tense and claustrophobic story here and i i dug it i just totally was into it and uh, I'm I'm very very pleased with this issue overall. I realized I didn't give I didn't read the credits. I always read the credits. I failed to. So the issue itself is called Plastique is another word for fear. You get your writer editor Jerry Conway, artist storyteller Pat Broderick, uh, artist inker Roden Rodriguez, letterer that Adam Kubert guy who never went anywhere, and colorist Gene D'Angelo. So that is your creative team. Now, there was a couple lines in the thing I just had to mention that I think were funny. Uh, there's one part in here where Doreen Dad is complaining about her watching local channels because he's paying, <laughs> wait for it, $20 a month for cable. <laughs> um, it's worth it to get the Spice Channel. Right. Oh, I don't think they had that in 82. But uh, <laughs> I think that maybe the Playboy Network at that point. But uh, the, 
that, and that's enough. I mean, all through, I mentioned earlier, the, all throughout this book is littered lots of stuff about the news, about TV, how it changes people's lives, about the newspaper sort of behind the times where TV is just too fast, newspaper can't keep up. It's all throughout the story. Uh, another thing is, I got to, I got to figure this is political commentary. And on two different occasions, one of the cops is yelling, would, it, would someone please wake up the president to get authorization? <laughs> it's only 945 at night. So that had to be a dig at Ronald Reagan. Yeah, well, you know, he was yeah. a very old president. <laughs> yes, he was. So apparently he's asleep by 945. He missed uh, you know, the end of St. Elsewhere. So anyway, um, one more ad I had to bring to your attention because I know the version you're reading doesn't have the ads in right. it. There is an ad in here for Sergeant Rock play sets. Yes. With yes. art by Joe Kubert. Yep. I mean that is a I, – I don't recall. I'm sure I saw that ad a hundred times. But now I'm a little more aware of things yeah. than I used to be, and I, you know, first time I really noticed that ad, and that was pretty cool. Unsuccessful line of toys. You think? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so you say this is the best drawn book yet uh, of the series. I am not going to argue that statement with you, and I think it's one of the strongest stories. I, I love that it's a, a one and done. Yep. This this is our first one and done of the series. I mean, the first two were. Black Bison, the second two were Killer Frost, uh, third two, I guess the way you say that, <laughs> uh, the third two were, um, what's his name, Pied Piper, this is oh, a one and done. Right. Yeah, okay, oh yeah, doesn't feel that way though, it still feels like, yeah. This is how you do it, man, this is how you do a one and done, nicely done. All right, with that folks, we are going to jump into our next segment, this one's dedicated to a certain Mr. Diablo Frank, uh, we are going to do some listener feedback. Pretend echo, 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 echo. Why is the feedback dedicated to Frank? I don't understand. You will in a minute. Okay. <laughs> I guess we should have read the feedback then. Oh, you should well. have read the feedback. <laughs> uh, we did a big feedback episode a couple uh, weeks ago or last week. Last week, week actually. <laughs> a, couple, a couple months ago, we did a big <laughs> feedback episode. And so this, this feedback is just specifically to the last review episode we did. So, you know, it's talking about Aquaman 26 and Firestorm number 6. So... Uh, we start uh, off with, with that. Yeah, You're we, up. yeah, we start off with Earth Two, Chris. He says, "I somehow missed Video Comics, which was that show I mentioned earlier. We finally got cable in 1984, and I think the show was gone by then. Yes, it was. I do remember you can't do that on television and Mr. Wizard, but that's about it. The narration reminded me a lot of Power Records. I kept waiting for a suicidal clown to show up in the swamp. Jack Dower would no, will no doubt love the stinger, Chris. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> um, nice, nice man thing reference. I love it." Uh, we also got something from an uh, email from Ciscoid. So, Aquaman. Parker got me back in, but the art was really uneven. Not a fan of Diaz's stiff figure work. Love the water spout, too. That's exactly the kind of fun use of powers, pure superheroics I was expecting from Parker. And that alone is a reason to keep reading the title, even if I thought there were some growing pains to the rest. Hopefully being, being put upon by having to deal with politics is a precursor to him leaving the throne behind. Yes, I agree with that, Ciscoid. That'd be good. That'd be good. Uh, we heard from little Russell Burbage, who, as we all know, is a huge fan of Firestorm. Um, his comment on the uh, on the issue is, ooh, Masters of the Universe 16-page preview? Battle Cat! <laughs> Thanks for that, little Russell Burbage. Uh, from, by the way, little Russell Burbage from United Planets. I meant to mention that. Okay. Uh, Kyle Benning wrote in, he wrote, uh, release the Kraken! <laughs> the Jeff Parker era of Aquaman kicks off, and Michael Bailey with a guest appearance. I feel like this is the publishing scheme cooked up by Marvel Comics, hoping that they can sell any issue by sticking Wolverine in there. <laughs> and we pulled it off again this month. Uh, he wrote, I enjoyed the issue as well. I'm excited to see where Parker's going with this. It's got lots of fun packed into the first issue. I love this issue. Another Oh, and then he's talking about Firestorm. I love this issue. Another gorgeous Broderick cover, and I agree with Shaq. I love covers with word balloons. Hell yes, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, I miss those covers. DC has really flipped things around. In the good old days, a Superman cover would feature a scene that has nothing to do with the book, and Superman would say something really mean to Lois Lane and look like a jerk. But then the inside of the book was actually a story. Superman would be a nice guy, Boy Scout, we all know and love. Now there's no covers with word balloons, and Superman's a jerk on every page on the inside of it. <laughs> 
Now, this part kind of goes out to Rob, I guess. Uh, that jail scene with Pied Piper turning into a satyr creeped me out as a kid. You and him, you know? Yeah. Kindred, kindred spirits there. It's kind of funny now, but definitely struck me as creepy. It reminded me of the Boogeyman from the real Ghostbusters cartoon, which was voiced by Frank Welker, by the way. Uh, it was terrifying him as a child. That level of creepiness is amped up as we find out that Pan is the guy pulling the strings. Pulls the strings! Uh, I miss exposition pages. That one exposition page no longer... I'm sorry. That ex, that one exposition page takes longer to read than an entire three dollar ninety nine cent comics these days. And he signs it a not so grumpy old man. Uh, the, hey, Kyle, I love the uh, Ed Wood reference. I really do appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I see. He's telling me not to give Doreen Day a, 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 a New Year's break. Well, we'll have to see how it goes. I don't think it's going to last that long. She's going to piss me off sooner or later. I'm sure. <laughs> I like you're eating handfuls of popcorn in this issue. <laughs> uh, we got an email from Ange of the Supergirl blog. He says, I will admit that I haven't read any of Aquaman in the New 52, but the review of this issue was so interesting, thanks Mike, that I am thinking of grabbing the book when I head to the LCS this afternoon. Will the inclusion of Firestorm in the upcoming weekly mean an end to these nostalgia trips? I am looking forward to hearing the reviews of the upcoming Hyena arc, my favorite one of the early years of the book. Uh, the answer to that is no. We're going to try and fit it all in because we really have been enjoying doing the Fury of Firestorm uh, recaps and everyone else seems to be really enjoying them. So I don't want to get rid of them, even if Firestorm is back in the new 52. Yeah, I think what we'll probably do is the issues of Future's End that are relevant to Firestorm, you know, we'll talk about that. Not a great length, because I mean, part of the reason we do such a long recap on these classic Fury Firestorm issues is these things haven't seen print in 30 years. Right. No one's, you can't pick up a trade of them. You know, unless you own them, you don't get them. So there's a lot of people out there that either haven't read them or haven't read them in 30 years. So we spend a little more time on these. Uh, with Future's End, you know, they're out there. Right now you can right. pick them up. So I'm not going to spend a big, long time recapping, but we will discuss the important issues. Sort of like what I attempted uh, with Argus a little bit ago and failed miserably because I wasn't prepared enough. So right. um, Next we heard from um, – oh, did I interrupt you or did you finish that one? Hmm? Oh, you finished that one. Okay, I finished good. that one, yeah. I'm just used to interrupting you. I thought maybe I did again. So, uh, Frank wrote in, and uh, that's Diablo Frank, by the way. He said, the comic book review episodes are now the ones I treat as a chore, talking about like this type of episode. There's a synopsis, and then there's the commentary crapshoot, and then there's usually an extended break matter followed by another synopsis review. I had to listen to the episode multiple times because my brain kept drifting off for minutes at a time until I lost my place and tried again. Um, the in-stock trade recommendations were solid. The Jeff Parker run is not starting from a place which makes me regret trade winning, from what I hear. Uh, I'm on Rob's side about the old royalty, old, the same old royalty bull. The bit where the hero keeps still and allows the earth to carry on around him goes back at least to the Guardian Alpha flight. So he, uh, what he was complaining in there was basically the review episodes. Uh, what he's really missing is us talking about him. Really, if you boil it down, <laughs> we didn't. We don't typically do feedback. In these episodes, so he's just bummed out because we don't talk about Frank, and his ego just can't contain an episode without him. So, Frank, this series of feedback is dedicated to you. And here's Frank's rendition of how the end of the review podcast should go, and we're going to use this to take us out. He says, the last things that bug me about the synopsis episode is the lack of extras, such as reader feedback. And then it dot, 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 dot. Deep thoughts by Jack Andy. If God dwells inside us, like some people say, I sure hope he likes enchiladas, because that's what he's getting. This has been Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Dot, 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 This concludes our broadcast day. The Fire and Water Podcast offices are located at 666 Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, New York, with our transmitter atop Titan's Tower. We welcome any additional comments you may have about our programming. We're a member of the Association of Unofficial DC Comics Podcasters, owned and operated by Nuclear Submarines Affiliated. Some of today's programs have been mechanically produced. Fan the flame and ride the wave. Good night and Godspeed, and now our national anthem. Then you play the national anthem, and it says test pattern. And that's it, folks. <laughs> if you want more Aquaman, be sure to check out the Aquaman Shrine at AquamanShrine.net. You can check them out on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find Firestorm Fan at FirestormFan.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or Instagram. Rob, can you tell us uh, tell them where to email us in the Tumblr? The email is FirewaterPodcast.Conquest.net, and the Tumblr is FireAndWaterPodcast.Tumblr.com. Thank you very much. All right, folks, fan the flame, ride the wave, and get ready for that test pattern. Bye. Bye.
Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and forever. Yeah! Wait! Pull the string! Pull the string! Cut!